Welcome back to It's Haunted, What Now? I'm your host, Lainey. I've got a great collection of stories for you today with quite a few of them from our inbox. I can't tell you enough how great it is to see all of you sending in your stories and the sense of community it brings. We might all be scattered across the world, but our paranormal encounters are what really brings us together. And I just really love that, so thank you, all of you, for sharing your experiences with us. Okay, ready to get spooked? Our first story comes from Patricia, who starts us off with one of the creepiest horror types, in my humble opinion, a haunted doll and the consequences of owning one. I've always been fascinated by ghosts and other unexplainable things, but unfortunately, I don't remember much of anything from my childhood, including any paranormal encounters I've had. The story was told to me by one of my childhood best friends and her mother. I feel like I should preface this with a little background into this friend and her family. I would go over there a lot growing up and the house always made me feel uneasy. The light was always dim throughout the house with dark walls and furniture, and they rarely had the curtains open to let sunlight in. All the floors creaked with every step we took, and there was a dingy stone basement that I absolutely refused to go into. Her parents' room had a huge mirror on the dresser, with a skull decoration sitting in the middle. I've always had a fear of mirrors for some reason, so that combination was super creepy to me. I remember faintly having experiences when I'd spend the night of seeing shadows and footsteps in the hall at times when everyone else was sleeping. I could never actually sleep through the night there. Maybe I was just a scared kid, but the fact that her family was very sure of the existence of ghosts and such things made it much more real in my eyes. So my friend Kate told me when her mother was younger, she had gotten a doll, possibly from a yard sale. Kate's great-grandmother had lived with her mother at this time, and at the time this event took place, the two of them were the only ones home. Her mother took this doll and put it on a bookshelf in her room. She started to notice that the doll would move slightly, but she didn't think too much about it. At one point, she had put the doll in her closet because she had started to feel like she was being watched. The morning after she had moved the doll, she woke up to it back on her dresser. She confided in her grandmother about what was happening, and the grandmother took the doll and said she needed to get rid of it immediately. Her grandmother put the doll in the outside garbage, but that wasn't enough. The next morning, the doll ended up in the grandmother's bathroom. The grandmother then tried to bury the doll instead, but to no avail, because this time it came back to the bathroom again, along with a puddle of blood on the floor. When the grandmother went to use the bathroom in the middle of the night, she slipped on the blood and fell, knocking herself unconscious. A few hours later, when Kate's mother woke up, she found the doll back on her dresser and went to tell her grandmother, only to find her lying on the floor. Kate's mother called her own mother at work, 
the grandmother ended up recovering in the hospital and the doll was given away. Kate told me when her mother first told her this story, she was unnerved about the situation. She told me her mother would never lie about something like that and has been firm in her belief about what happened. Knowing her mother, who was a generally calm and carefree woman, I believed her. Already leery about dolls, after hearing the story, I never wanted to see another one in my life. Unfortunately, my little sister didn't share the same fear. She got an American Girl doll for her birthday and tried to keep it in our shared bedroom. I made sure it was thrown into the back of the closet with the door closed. I slept as far away from that closet as possible. Okay, what did I tell you? Creepy, right? This absolutely brings to mind the stories of Annabelle and the terrible entity taking refuge inside an innocent children's toy in order to cause terror. And as you can probably guess, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I've only got three words for that. No thank you. Our next story comes from William H. Morbid, who brings us a tale of a house with a sinister past that seems to be catching up to current times. In the 1930s and 40s, Pine Bluff, Arkansas was still. We had the mill, the sheriff's station, a general goods store, and some houses scattered about. One of those houses stood until 2014 in a densely wooded area that lay smack dab in the center of a suburb that is now 6th and Cherry Street. This house belonged to the town's doctor who gave cheap medical care to the hardworking residents of this small pioneer town. Now, from what she told me, the town's bigwig's daughter went for treatment and wound up sexually assaulted and a victim of attempted murder. She woke up during a chloroform treatment and escaped. Apparently, this three-story concrete house was placed about 40 yards from the city's first cemetery, and the good doctor even had a giant oven he used for nefarious purposes. The father of the girl paid some sheriff's deputies to lock the house down and set it ablaze from the inside, burning the doctor to death where they tied him up to a chair. After, of course, cutting his genitals and burning him with hand-rolled cigarettes, among other torturous things. Let's jump ahead 50 years to the early 90s. My friend Jamie's girlfriend's dad, a local plumber, worked for his father. They had a city contract to reroute the water lines and septic for 6th and Cherry Street, and those lines ran through a patch of woods and right into this new and upcoming lower-income suburb. Her dad was instructed to go into the vacant house and find the shutoff that connected through the back wall. Pine Bluff was built strangely. Nothing made sense. Power, water, gas, sewage, everything was messed up. He went inside, radio in hand, looking for a short drop manhole where the valves had been installed in the 60s. Mr. E, as we'll call him from here on out, walked inside and roamed the bottom floor. The building was covered in graffiti, vines, mold, and char marks covered nearly every surface. 
The stairs had been burned and were nearly gone entirely, left in a pile on the floor. Walking through the main hall into the kitchen servants' chambers, he found the hole and radioed back to his dad to report. He went inside and turned off all the water and septic valves. Standing in a foot of gray water, he suddenly heard scratching above him, along with a loud, grinding squeak sound. He popped his head up and saw a large black iron door swinging slowly open. He said, quote, I looked up and saw the black oven door swinging open and got out the hole, Mr. E told me later. I walked over and popped my light on, leaned down and looked inside that oven. There was what looked to be little skulls all inside. I don't know if they were real or what, but I left. I walked out quick and the door slammed closed on that oven as I hit the front door. So, me being who I am, one night when I was set to go to a party in the woods, I decided I needed to see this place. My buddy Jamie and his girlfriend tagged along after a bit of convincing. It was about one in the morning and by that point we were trashed. I won't lie, we should have just stayed home and played video games. But this was just something I had to see. Jamie was very against it, but his girlfriend was a skeptic and knew exactly where the place was. She was just too afraid to have ever gone on her own. We pulled up to a tangled patch of trees and bushes about eight miles into the center of town. She hopped the curb and rolled up to the tree line. We're here, she called back to us. Let's go. Being the young moron that I was, lit a joint and stepped out of the car. As I walked to the wooded area and looked around, I spotted it. A chain gate just big enough for a small car. I pulled the chain and guided my friends in with their headlights off. The whole area was filled with dead trees, layered over with living trees that had overtaken them. The moon had burst its light through the clouds and my vision felt doubled. I walked along the small path with my flip phone flashlight, guiding them nearly to the front door where we stopped. Looking up at the moonlit structure, I heard a creak from far above me, three floors up. There, looking back at me, I saw two eyes. Not cat eyes or a raccoon or a possum. These two eyes reflected the moon right back at me, black and empty. I dropped my joint and almost slammed into the hood of the car as I jumped backwards. I could hear Jamie and his girlfriend laughing as I snatched for the door handle. I got in the car, yelling at them as I laughed. I laughed maniacally back at them, shouting for them to turn on their headlights and to look up at the third floor. The doors suddenly unlocked and they flung themselves into the car with me. We floored it backwards, trampling baby trees and dead overgrowth in our haste. All I remember is black eyes and a white coat. Okay, I have to admit, the visuals that came across in this story are really going to stick with me for a while. Houses with a horror history are always going to stick in people's imaginations, and I don't think it's much of a stretch to say you're probably not the only ones who experience paranormal encounters in that house. In our next story from Nicolette2882, I think the opposite might be true. They bring us an intimate tale of experiences in their own home with seemingly no reason or warning. 
lived in my duplex for four years. The first two, I was single, and after that, my boyfriend has lived here. Either my boyfriend has upset my ghosts or brought some with him. I'm really not sure. One room in my house is so cold, it's crazy. It's always cold. I've sealed the windows with tape and doubled the curtains up, but it still remains cold. Neither of us like being in that room. Things started moving. My boyfriend's work shoes were gone for over a week. They reappeared in a place he never takes them off at. I've found my knickknacks have been moved to the edge of the shelf. I put them back and they'll be moved again. A clock was even taken off the nail on the wall and set on the dinner table. While we were sleeping, a few pictures came off the walls. My bulldog was afraid of the hallway for weeks. We play fetch inside and all of a sudden she would stop dead and not go in the hall for the ball. My cats stare at the wall and avoid the cold room. We saw an orb flying around my hallway once and it looked like it was touching one of my cats. She ran away three times before jumping on the other cat. I think it was to protect her. My boyfriend saw the shadow figure clearly. I've only seen side views or felt my hair being touched or felt like I was being watched. He saw the figure in the hallway. He said it was short not human and clicked when it walked. Lately, we've both have had headaches and our energy levels are always very low, but we feel better when we leave the building. It has now been playing with electronics. I listen to CDs through my Xbox and TV, but the other day it was just shutting off the music. The Wi-Fi goes out all the time. That's not solid proof, but it goes wonky way too much to be natural. Now, I've noticed that the TV has a spot in the corner where it looks like it was grabbed. The TV is less than a year old, but now it'll have white lines going through it. And the next day, it'll be fine again. The last TV I had just turned into psychedelic colors one day, and I threw it out. It has also mimicked our voices. I was in the kitchen, and my stepson came out of the bathroom to ask me if I was talking to him in there. I wasn't. He said I was, and he wasn't sure what I had said. Then my boyfriend and I heard him call out to us one night. While it turned out, he was fast asleep, but we both heard it. I hear doors slamming all the time, and knocking on my door happens quite often. We have considered moving, but I don't want to. I just want to coexist peacefully and not be scared to take a shower by myself. But it sure would be nice not to feel so tired and not to have these headaches. The thought that these entities can affect our physical health is a really powerful one. We've had quite a few stories submitted of people who are sensitive to certain areas or objects. And thinking about how there's no control over something like that happening... It's something you maybe don't want to think about for too long. Now, the only thing I would recommend is to start protecting yourself and your boyfriend and your stepchild. So think about saging your house or think about envisioning all of you in a safety bubble of love and light that nothing negative can penetrate. And if there's anything negative in the house that wishes you harm, then just make sure that you're making it clear to them that this is your space and that you want only positive energy in that house and let us know how it goes if it works or if it doesn't 
Our third story comes from Gray, who has their own harrowing experience with something that affected their physical health and maybe had a lasting effect that they weren't expecting. until the point of the lovely year of 2008, I was not okay with the supernatural, nor did I put much stock into it. I was already socially awkward as it was, thanks to some undiagnosed autism at the time, and was both simultaneously stuck in that awful teenage phase of not like other girls, but also didn't think I was special enough to see ghosts. This was an idea I'd come to regret. Honestly, I'd be really okay if I never saw one again. For more context, after we'd moved into this house during the summer of 2007, my parents noted that I'd undergone a significant personality change. I was suddenly nasty, I was aggressive, I was abusive to people who had never harmed me before, or to my friends. Previously, I was just a goofy kid who teachers didn't quite know how to talk to but was otherwise considered very bright and pleasant to be around. I was no stranger to moving every other year, and this move had barely bothered me, so they knew I wasn't secretly upset about that and lashing out. Late one night, my dad was away for work, and it was just me, my mother, little brother, and our dog for the week. For some reason, I couldn't help but feel like something was watching me. I sat up in bed only to see a dark figure standing in the corner of my room, almost indiscernible at first glance. I didn't yell and didn't panic at first because I thought I had to be dreaming. I wasn't special, and non-special people don't do cool things like see ghosts. I tried to fall back to sleep, but it was tricky. I felt like I was being watched the rest of the night. The next day, I asked to sleep in another room, slightly more fearful now, but thinking I just needed a change of pace. I was convinced that it had been a fluke, and by sleeping elsewhere, my brain would reset and I'd be fine. Surely, I hadn't just seen a ghost. My mother thought I was acting up for attention, but figured it wasn't the hill to die on and let me sleep elsewhere, so I did, and the thing followed me. It waited at the foot of the bed all night, staring me down as I tried to sleep, I was so exhausted from the lack of sleep the previous night that I did manage to drift off, but it was a restless sleep. I tried to envision myself surrounded by white light, hoping it might repel the darkness. The third day, I sat at a table with a few friends and their mothers, and my own family. We had just had dinner and were doling out the cinnamon rolls for dessert, when I suddenly felt my whole body get heavy like someone added a 50-pound weight to my skull. I couldn't stop it. I slumped forward in my chair, despite my grabbing at the back to attempt to stay upright. My eyes just about rolled back into my skull. I remember that someone asked if I was okay. I couldn't see, and yet I could. I suddenly saw a flat plane stretched out before me, and everything was gray. The dark figure stood right in front of me, and then it rushed me. It ran at me so fast and I didn't know what to do. I couldn't do anything. I had to fight to pry my jaws apart, 
and I screamed. It was like the screaming released me, and I nearly knocked my chair into the wall when I shot backwards. I was sobbing and could hardly catch my breath while everyone tried to figure out what was wrong. I told my mother what I saw, that the thing was back and that it tried to hurt me. I think this finally convinced her that I wasn't crazy, that something was wrong and I wasn't trying to get attention. I wasn't a crier. I hated being caught crying. After I calmed down, she took her two friends upstairs with her to my room. She didn't tell me until several years later that her friends had seen it. They had seen this dark presence in my room too, and that this could prove I wasn't lying, that I wasn't crazy. The dog often followed her around the house while she was doing chores, but he refused to come anywhere near my room. He growled at my room, hackless raised in furious defense. Even after we moved to a new house, my dog never wanted to stay long in my room again. I don't know if it was because he remembered the bad thing from before, or if something had been irreparably broken in me, or was now a part of me. I couldn't walk into churches anymore without having sudden, unexplainable breakdowns. I would feel like hands were choking me and I'd struggle to breathe. I'd feel a hundred emotions at once and start sobbing uncontrollably. Needless to say, I quit entering churches. We found a journal in my room a few months before I moved out for university, full to the brim of disjointed ramblings. They were written by something that said it was a monster, that my parents would kill me if they discovered I was no longer human, that it would have to hurt my family in order to stay alive. I burned it immediately and tossed the remnants in the trash. The scariest part was that it was all in my handwriting, and I didn't remember writing any of it. My family still wonders to this day what it was. Germany is small, and so many new things are built on top of old things all the time. We lived close to Celtic tombs and had visited the old mounds and tall obelisks mounted on top of them. We lived next to a walled city, and buildings in the village could be dated back several centuries prior. Was our home on top of someone's grave? The weirdest coincidence of all was that the people who lived there before us had developed a reputation of being quite nasty as well. Had they always been nasty? Or had the same thing that haunted me changed me? Changed them too? If you ask me, Possession stories are some of the creepiest out there, especially when it comes from nowhere and there's no one or nothing to blame. A whole horror genre has been born out of the phenomenon, but these quiet horror stories, to me, seem to pack just as much of a punch as any of those big-budget scripts could ever dream of making up. Our next story comes from Maggie, who brings us a quietly terrifying tale of that strange feeling of being watched and who might be doing the watching. Back in 2015, my family was getting ready to move from our apartment and into a house. 
My mom and dad left to go pick up more boxes, and my little brother was at a friend's house, so I was alone. One thing I want to note, I'm sensitive to vibes in a space. I know a lot of people don't believe in that stuff, but I do. I was going through our little storage closet, and I felt like someone was watching me. I turned around, thinking my brother and his friend decided to come back and that they were pranking me. When I turned around, no one was there. I called out and said our safe word. We pranked each other a lot, but there was no response. I chalked it up to my mind, playing tricks. I went back to the closet and suddenly began to feel really sick and dizzy, so I decided to lay down. I'm not sure if I blacked out or fell asleep, but the next thing I remember is opening my eyes to the tall man. He was freakishly tall. He wore a top hat and had no face. Of course, I ran out of my place over to my neighbors and waited for my parents to come home. Flash forward to about four or five months after the move, I was downstairs doing laundry. My brother was home with me, though he'd gone back upstairs. I was sorting through my clothing when I had the same feeling of being watched. I yelled out and there was no reply. I shook my head, turned back around and I saw this face, pale and greenish. He had white eyes that were staring back at me with an evil grin on his face. He wore a top hat and he stood in the doorway, staring at me. Of course, I screamed and my brother rushed downstairs. He saw the figure, yelled at it, and then it was gone. We still live in the house, but I won't go in the basement alone, and all the lights have to be on when I'm there. But sometimes I feel, whatever he is, staring at me. The feeling of being watched is a powerful one and seems to sit like a physical weight on the back of your neck, making all the hair stand up at once. And the fact that your brother also saw this figure, that absolutely adds weight. Our next story comes with a bit of a bright spot. Viking 224 brings us their tale of experiencing the paranormal. And this time, maybe they've been able to control their experience for the better. I want to preface this by saying while I am a believer in the paranormal, I don't attribute every noise and strange occurrence I hear as a ghost or demon. However, I know my house is haunted. I have lived in the same house all of my life, and since I was a kid, my mother would tell me stories of the ghosts she would see before I was born. Her and my aunt have both seen a face in windows, both describing an elderly gentleman with a top hat. The face that they saw was never malicious or menacing, but just someone watching. After looking through several family photo albums, they saw a picture of my great-grandfather, and it was the face they kept seeing. After discovering the identity of the ghost, 
my mother felt general relief. Because at the time she was pregnant with me and my parents had a difficult time with the conception, so she felt like he was watching over her while pregnant, a guardian angel of sorts. One night she woke up to see a figure in the doorway to her room. Instead of the immediate terror a person would normally experience, she felt calm, even when the figure walked closer and closer to the bed. It finally settled next to my sleeping father in the bed, where the figure promptly vanished. After that night, they never saw him again. Fast forward 22 years later. I'm sitting dumbfounded, hearing these stories for the first time, feeling genuinely bummed out that I never got to experience any of this. Now, at this time, I injured my shoulder and I couldn't sleep in anything but a recliner for six months while I recovered from surgery. I'd taken our entire basement and turned it into a mini apartment. After about a month, me and my girlfriend Emma started hearing the door to the upstairs close loudly at random points during the day and night. The fridge would be open for no reason and the motion lights we had at the top of the stairs would trigger on and off. All of these things were explainable enough. An old house making noise, bad lights, didn't close the fridge enough. You know, a million different explanations. It started happening so much I would joke that the ghost was back and I had decided that his name was Fred. One night, Emma and I were home alone and I left to go get dinner. When I came back, she looked visibly confused and annoyed. What's wrong? I asked. Well, she answered, Fred played a little joke on me while you were gone. This piqued my interest greatly. Do tell. When you left, I heard footsteps coming from upstairs, she replied. So I thought you forgot your keys or something. I came to see what was going on, but when I came upstairs, you weren't there. And then I heard footsteps coming from the third floor. I yelled up and nobody answered. But I heard the footsteps again, so I yelled again, shouting, All right, Fred, I'm not playing this game anymore. Then, nothing. I went back downstairs and you came home. The footsteps continued for the next couple of weeks. We got used to it, shouting, Knock it off, Fred, whenever it went on too long and became annoying. Usually, that made it stop. One night around two in the morning, we had a couple of friends over and from upstairs, we heard a very loud bang. Now my parents both have very bad knees, so immediately Emma and I rushed upstairs, thinking one of them had just fallen down the stairs or something. However, the main floor was dark with nothing out of place. Mom? I tentatively called out. From the third floor, both my parents yelled down asking what happened. They had been in bed for the last hour, heard the crash, and thought we or one of our friends had drunkenly knocked something over. Keep in mind, none of us had been drinking at all. After verifying that my parents were okay and nothing was out of place, we both sighed in relief. Going back downstairs, Emma stopped to go into the bathroom. Immediately, she shouted for me. I ran in to see what was wrong and, boy, Fred had struck. Laying in front of the toilet was the mirror that was normally mounted on the wall. It was face down and unbroken. It was impossible. The mirror easily weighed 20 pounds and the frame was made from old halved logs. 
The mirror was big enough that it would have broken the toilet if it fell. Never mind shatter the glass of the mirror itself. Stranger still, on top of the toilet tank, there were a bunch of little knickknacks, all of which were completely undisturbed when the mirror fell. Impossible. My brain launched directly into problem-solving mode. How could this happen? I checked the nail on the wall. It was solid and did not budge an inch. I checked the back of the mirror, just as solid. I remounted the mirror waiting a few seconds to make sure it didn't fall, and it stayed put. In my mind, I tried to recreate how this could have happened, but the only conclusion I could reach was that someone took the mirror off the wall, held it a few inches off the ground, and dropped it. High enough to make a loud bang, but not high enough to break it. After all of this, Emma had had enough. She said she was going to get rid of Fred. The following week, she blessed the house, all the while saying to Fred that he was unwelcome for now if he was going to be doing things like this. She told him that if he could behave, he could return later on. After the blessing, we didn't hear from Fred at all, until about a year later. I came home from work and my rocking chair was... rocking. It was like someone had just stood up from where they'd been sitting in. I tried walking around and recreating how I came in the room, to see if maybe I just rocked the floor a little bit, but nothing. All right, Fred, I said aloud to the empty room. You're welcome to stay. Just don't do anything stupid, or out you go again. So far since the chair incident, nothing has happened, but who knows what Fred has planned to make sure we know that he's still there. I'm glad that you feel brave enough to tell Fred what's what. Personally, I don't know if I would have had the guts to tell off a ghost. Maybe after a few more of these stories, I'll be able to have that kind of courage. Our final story today comes from Abby. I wanted to leave us on a high note, as this story tells us of a ghost that, this time, doesn't have the sinister intentions that you'd expect. I believed in ghosts until that night in the hospital. When I was 16, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And eventually, it came time for her to have surgery. While she was in surgery, my dad's sister and I were hanging out in the waiting area. It was a large atrium with a grand staircase and a second floor balcony where you could look out over the first floor. We were told there were some complications during my mom's surgery so my family just had to sit and wait. It was about 11 at night, and my dad and sister decided to try and sleep. I was very anxious and couldn't sleep at all. We were the only ones in the waiting area, and I was the only one awake. Just then, a little girl appeared on the second floor balcony. She was about five or six and was in a hospital gown. She waved at me, and I waved back. She started to play with a paper airplane. After a while, she threw the paper airplane off the balcony in my direction and ran away. I went ahead and picked it up and brought it upstairs to give it to her, but she was gone. 
I found the nurse's station to drop it off, hoping to return it to the little girl. When I told the nurse, she just smiled at me and asked, Do you have a family member that's in surgery right now? I said, Yes, my mom. Your mom must be doing great then, she said. Izzy likes to let people know when their family members are doing well. The nurse went on to explain that Izzy, the little girl I saw, was actually the resident ghost of the hospital. Sometimes she would throw paper airplanes to people when the person in surgery was doing well. Izzy was right. About an hour later, my mom was out of surgery and recovering well. She ended up becoming cancer-free, and we just celebrated my mom's 10-year anniversary of being in remission. It makes me sad to think that a child's ghost is tied to the hospital, but I believe Izzy is truly trying to help people in her own way. I hope she can find peace one day, but in the meantime, keeps bringing relief to those that are waiting for their loved ones. Aw, you see, I'm glad that we got to finish today with such a sweet spirit. Izzy has probably brought a lot of comfort to families over the years, even if they don't know her story like we do now. Well, that does it for this episode. If you'd like to submit your own spooky tale to be read on the show, head to hauntedpod.com and click on the link to submit your story. You can also email me at hauntedpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help us out. You can find us on Twitter at podcast underscore haunted, Instagram at it's haunted what now or at hauntedpod.com. Production assistance by Rebecca Lopez. Writing assistance by Meg Williams. The official composer for the show is Neeks at We Talk of Dreams. Check him out on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams or WeTalkOfDreams.com. Audio engineering provided by the best in the business, Chez at Gray Multimedia. Until next time. Did you hear that?